0: All right, before we go, a little update on a story we brought you this week about homeless vets being displaced from hotels so that illegals could move in. Turns out the group behind the claim made it up. We have no clue as to why anyone would do such a thing, but we'll bring you any updates should they come. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 33 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out a time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. You know, I find that much of my work that I do here when I'm on the air on 77 Talk Radio as a center-left voice on a strident right station is kind of in the category of fact-checking, not dealing with outrage with counter-outrage, although, given my history of shouting that, came as a surprise to many of my listeners. And whether it's Hunter Biden laptop, uh, the integrity of the 2020 election, or the record of Anthony Fauci, my approach has kind of been to assume good faith on both sides and try to meet the hot issues with the cool, refreshing breezes some facts now i don't claim to find truth perhaps it is true that there are only perspectives and god is the only one that knows the truth but when it comes to knowable things i try to say them when i know them and when i say i know them it's mean by looking them up before i get on the radio but no sooner have i said something on the radio that i know as fact As a caller would call in and simply say, it's not true. I realize that I'm in the media now. I'm experiencing what pollsters say is a real thing. Republicans simply don't trust the media to report the news, quote, fairly accurately and fully. I say quote because there are some numbers behind that. The Gallup organization has polled Americans on this very question since the 1970s. And last September, when they repeated the survey, they found that 34% of Americans have a great deal or fair amount of confidence in the media. But when you tease out that number, you see that 70% of Democrats did and 40% of um, 14% of rather of Republicans do. Let me say that again. 70% of Democrats say that they have a f- great deal of fair amount of confidence in the media and only 40%. of Republicans do. So as a host of a show called The Middle, I've been eager to explore this for a while, but I have become particularly interested because recently there have been three stories that have been noteworthy for being wrong, but wrong in different ways. One was a story about a hotel kicking out homeless veterans so they could put in recently arrived immigrants. This is what that sounded like on Fox News. A group of veterans, some suffering from PTSD, may now be victims of New York's migrant busing battle. Fox News confirms 20 homeless vets just got kicked out of several hotels in the suburbs north of Manhattan to make room for those migrants getting bused in from the city. A second was where the founder of a tech company was killed in San Francisco. And a third was about an AI military system overriding the commands of its human controller. To help me what to what happened in these stories and how it connects back to the distrust of media by republicans i actually have a guest this week henry goldman is a person that i met when he worked in room nine he's the founder and principal of something called parachute insights that is a company that helps people deal with the media when they have to he's a 22 veteran year veteran of bloomberg news it says here that he worked for 17 years reporting for the philadelphia inquirer situated uh, headquartered here in new york and he's currently teaching about ethics and values at fordham university henry thanks for for being here It's nice to be here. So let me kind of, with your help, describe those three stories and what I think the kind of connective tissue is with them. The first, as I mentioned, was the story about veterans being kicked out of a homeless hotel in upstate New York that um, so that they could accommodate these recent migrants. It turned out that that story was not true, that someone had simply made up the most important fact about that story. The second story that I mentioned is the San Francisco tech bro, not to be dismissive. He was a founder of, uh, of Square. He, had, he was a, a well-known figure in San Francisco, and that story was originally reported as another example of crime being out of control in San Francisco and vagrants being everywhere. People like Elon Musk and other famous people, as soon as it happened, basically jumped to the place that it was another sign that crime was rampant. And as it turned out, like so many murders are, someone that the guy knew, something resembling a love triangle, that's being teased out in the courts. And the third was a case where a uh, an Air Force official was ruminating on what might possibly happen if AI was ever introduced into weaponry. He talked about how this this missile system overrode the commands of its human operator and attacked it turned out his his desire to paint this picture led him to say things as if they were true they were actually hyperbole or fabricated and for me what connects these things is this desire, it seems, that often overtakes even good journalists to follow a narrative that has already been kind of written. In the third case, it's that AI is out of control. In the second case, it's that crime is out of control. In the first case, it's these damn migrants are taking over everything. And as someone who has functioned within the journalism body, and now you teach about it and also give people advice on how to deal with it, is this a new phenomenon or the checks that are normally in these cases not present like they used to be?
1: No, it's a, it's an ancient phenomenon of the press or of reporting and of journalism, and it's you know some of these cases are kind of garden variety pitfalls that reporters and editors fall into. And let's let's start with the case in San Francisco. I, I have to also say though uh, that I disagree with you about these cases saying something overarching about reporters. I think that most reporters, most responsible journalism, is uh, the North Star is the truth. And that is the essential principle by which we operate, is searching for the truth and printing the truth as illusory and, or as elusive as that may be. But in this case where this uh, tech entrepreneur, Bob Lee, was killed in San Francisco It wasn't the entire media that grabbed on to this uh, framing of the story as a as San Francisco plagued by crime. But it was some very influential reporters, for example, the NBC affiliate in San Francisco. They went with this story that this shows how crime is out of control in San Francisco. Totally irresponsible reporting. What was that NBC would say this shows that crime is out of control in San Francisco. Well, is it
0: a function of being irresponsible or a function of, well, first of all, as a, med- as a they, television story, it follows the, if it bleeds, it leads ethos that has been around for thousands of years. But,
1: I, I, I mean, it's very difficult,
0: that. I imagine, if you're a reporter in a newsroom who are reporting every day, day in and day out. That crime is running rampant in San Francisco, and then there's a murder of a white guy with a lot of money, who's a famous guy in a wealthy neighborhood. the The pressure must be on you to do that. Now,
1: now, the uh, pressure t- is there. The pressure is to frame the story in a way that the readers are going to have this kind of gut
0: level. Yes, that's what's happening. So but let's let's use that same same thought about the migrant story. This migrant story was almost too good not to be true for the New York Post and for Fox News. And we played a clip of Fox News. That was just one of maybe 20 segments they had done over the course of three days. And we played as the the open. Laura Ingram saying, "We don't know why would someone would lie about this." But you'll notice in that cut I played, we say that Fox News has confirmed. But now let's get back to the the twenty-four thing seconds. Though. The, the the thing that you said though about this pressure, the new and what new and what motivates reporters. Let's not kid ourselves. A reporter at the New York Post, even the best, most down-the-middle reporter at the New York Post, sees something like that and knows it's front-page fodder. Yeah, it's right? raw
1: meat. It's great stuff, but the danger is you don't fall in love with the story. You have to say, "Okay, I'm not, this." Yeah, but you I'm say not. this is a great story if it's true. I have to go about finding out whether it's true.
0: But why does it matter if it's true or not? If you're because, Fox News and you're, well, and you're New York Post, I can't, you're doing. I, here, let, me, let me just get this thought out. With your Fox News and the New York Post. All of the conversation – first of all, there's already – I read the statistics. Already your viewers don't believe what they hear on the air. They, they want to be told what they want to be told, right? Right. So they want to be told that veterans are being kicked out for migrants. They want to be told that, 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 that homeless people are killing white people their in San Francisco. Their viewers do want to
1: hear – not Correct. all viewers, but their viewers. Got it. Right.
0: So the question becomes – from someone who, now, who, who understands the, the – uh, under, you know if you're a New York Post reporter and you want to get the wood, this kind of story, you want, you want it to be true.
1: You want it to be true. You desperately want it to be true. You don't have to be at the New York Post. It's a great story. You know, migrants kicking out veterans. But in order for it to be a great story, it has to be true. And if, and your responsibility, no matter who you are, no matter what the medium is, is to print something that is true so that the reader will trust you the next time when you write a story.
0: What if, I mean, you keep saying that that's the responsibility, but what if your business model is not to do that? So here's this conversation that we have in this country from time to time. Something something inconvenient is produced about the president of the about a President Trump and the new shrie is fake news. But could it be that the actual purveyors of fake news are not on the left attacking attacking Donald Trump? But the real fake news are these types of stories that are I would argue intentionally – I mean, look, when the, – the, I'll tell you the, the interesting thing, this New York Post story, vets kicked out for migrants. It ran on the front page on Saturday, May 11th. Now when you go online, the editor's note, if you were the editor, what would your editor's note be on this story?
1: My editor's note would be: We made a mistake, and we are correcting the mistake. The mistake was made because we believed a source, and we didn't check the source's veracity.
0: Okay, I mean, I would say something this like: correction. I would say something like that. Here's: Let me read you the editor's note. This nonprofit CEO has been accused of misrepresenting the veterans who have been displaced for migrants. That's their editor's note. Right, no, then. no mea culpa. No. No, we're only leaving this online as an example to journalism students or anything like that.
1: They're blaming it on their source and not on right. themselves right, right. for believing a source without checking out what the source was saying. But
0: again, returning to the connective tissue, and you wanted to make a point about the San Francisco case, the other thing about these things is they play into a, a narrative that is sometimes easier just to buy into than to push back on. And one of the things we try to do on this podcast and the shows and other shows is to kind of push back on the narrative and to say that, look, for For example, in the San Francisco case, if you ask most people in law enforcement and experienced reporters who are working the police desk, they would say, you see someone get murdered. The chances that it's a completely random dude on the street are pretty slim. All of the stories about crime going through the roof, notwithstanding. And sure enough, that's what wound up happening here.
1: But it's not only that. and, And I have to say in support of the media that the reason why we're talking about that this case is that there were responsible people in the media who reported that the original framing of this story as a San Francisco crime story was BS. Right. It wasn't true. And one of them happened to be the ABC affiliate, which ran a, a uh, segment in which they put in the data for San Francisco. Well, you San Francisco is the third lowest murder rate
0: in the the country. Yeah. So, so another interesting thing that happened in San Francisco, and I thought about raising it in the context of this conversation, was there was a former San Francisco Fire Department commissioner, so deputy commissioner, who had been attacked in the front of his home by a homeless man, attacked with a crowbar. As it turned out, in this world of of surveillance, there was a video camera that had captured this guy, bear macing a homeless guy to try to move him from his mom's house. And the guy got furious and fought back, et cetera. In other words, there's always context to all of, all of these stories. But I wonder what I should say to my audience who is in this group of Republicans that don't believe the media, who don't believe that Fox News is in that category of media when they say I don't believe the media, who fundamentally, you know, I I did a podcast not long ago about the outcome of the Dominion case where I posited that it meant very little in terms of changing people's minds because most people who tune into Fox are not looking necessarily for the truth according to Hoyle. How do you deal with the context that so many Republicans... Like when I say on my radio shows, go look it up, where do you think Republicans go nowadays?
1: You answer that question because I could... Come up with many different answers. Well,
0: what do you think Republicans view as, I think as authoritative?
1: They, they would go on the internet and they would go to some source that they trust, which may not necessarily be trustworthy, whether it's the RNC, whether it's some other blogger, or whether it's some of the uh, voices on this radio station who uh, engage in some hyperbole. That is a problem, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a problem of sort of the new media of the digital media, that we are still learning how to be literate about this media, the same way that uh, Germans were very naive about the use of mass media back in the early days of uh, Germans turning toward fascism.
0: Well, since I made one of the examples an AI story, and it was a weird one, I have to admit. It was a kind of a weird case of a story that kind of caught fire and spread all over the place. And then it was quickly realized that it was it was a mistake for those of you who, who want to check it out. What it turned out is that this colonel who was doing this presentation now says he misspoke and that he was using um, a, a hypothetical thought experiment is the quote that he used. But let's talk for a moment about this AI question. It isn't the, it isn't the topic of this episode, but I think it might be of a future one. There's been a lot of conversation about the idea that AI, which, you know, basically big language models, they have the ability to go out and try to figure out what's right and what's wrong based on volume, right? If everyone is saying that the sky is blue, these models then come up with the conclusion the sky is blue. But what if you have a situation where there are so many people on the internet saying that the sky is orange, that then these AI models wind up generating information that's just wrong. Well, what, 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 what did you think that at the end of the day, I mean, well, let, let, me, let me just that leave, question, leave that That question, though, there. is
1: engaging in sort of the same process that this uh, military uh, guy did when he... Determined that AI might uh, cause the annihilation of the human race by disregarding the human. Oh, by the way, make
0: make no mistake. I have no concern about people opining about that in the story. Someone making a presentation in the about in front of a, a, sure. a military audience that it had indeed happened. I think He's is what happened. Declaring that it happened. <laughs> right. That this right. actually
1: happened. But the thing about this is, it's another c- case of framing the story, and it's going back to. Uh, There was a play written in 1920, R-U-R. It was written by a Czech playwright. It coined the term robot, and it was all about how robots are going to take over and destroy mankind. And there is this kind of myth about this, this kind of cultural fear about this, and this uh, AI drone story played into this kind of cultural fear. And it's very attractive. Again, somebody fell in love with this story. But if you look at this, the the mainstream media didn't really go for this story in a big way. This was another case where digital media uh, just ran away like wildfire. And it created this mania about AI, which the Air Force
0: then had to quell. Do you think, just to wrap up, do you think that what we're learning here is at the end of the day we need some authoritative media gatekeepers the new york times a the Walter wall street Cronk journal well that's a, an individual i don't think that i don't know that's reasonable but institutions look let's face it the new york times is emerging the wall street journal these other major players despite the the talk about you know about the death of media these guys have now become kind of what google has become for search engines like they they have risen to the place that they're authoritative the problem is I can go look at a Philip Bump fact check of something and it can be amazing. But when I talk about it on the air, about you know, this has been fact checked. You can go take a look at this story. It almost is fruitless because, I'm, again, just to repeat myself, I'm dealing with there is an audience I believe that exists now that might be irretrievably connected to the idea of. News that they want to hear. The rather frame, than
1: the frame of the story, and not the facts of the story, or, the fact, or,
0: or even it, facts but, that are not. But
1: here's true. here's the thing about that San Francisco case. The Wall Street Journal examined it. They proved beyond a reasonable doubt in in journalistic uh, par- you know ways that this guy was killed by an acquaintance, not by a homeless man. Right. not and they then created a frame of their own, saying. This wasn't about crime. This was about the profligate world of rich people having you know, free sex and free drugs and San Francisco's tech. And so they created their own frame for right. this story. But at
0: least you see the thing – but taking facts and putting them into a framework is one thing. The problem with the, with the San Francisco story is the foundational fact – that they needed to go off on this crime is out of control story. Well that's Did, right. They, they assumed. They, they didn't have that. That that was that was Never kind of the problem. Never presume. That was kind of the problem. Never make an so, assumption. That you so don't how know. how different how different you, you teach a class at Fordham on, on on journalism and ethics. How different is this generation of journalists being educated in their field and trained in their field than when you were starting out? A few decades ago?
1: It's a very interesting question because when you go into journalism, at least when I did, there were values. There was Watergate, there was Vietnam. Those were the truths that that needed to be exposed. Now there are all kinds of truths that need to be exposed. uh, And the people who are coming up in journalism are mostly kind of career oriented. They're mostly listening very carefully to what their editors tell them. Editors? Yeah, we didn't discuss editors. Editors frame these stories. I guarantee you that when a reporter came back and said, you know, so-and-so has told me that these migrants are moving in and the veterans are moving out, the editor— at that newspaper?
0: Wait, 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 you're talking about newspapers. I mean, that's yes,
1: because the New York Post drove that. Yeah, story. you're talking
0: about newspapers. My question wasn't about newspapers, was but journalism the editor, today. Editor, the
1: producer.
0: But there aren't journalism editors. There aren't editors. There aren't producers in what ninety percent of the it, information that's coming well, out on the internet. That's is being another. Produced.
1: Th- if we want to talk about the digital thing, that's a separate phenomenon. That's
0: right. Right. That's ninety-nine point nine nine percent of the phenomenon right now.
1: Correct. That you're absolutely right. But these cases that you gave me and that we're discussing, only one of them Is a real a case where digital media went wild, and that's the right. But but my question,
0: just to wrap up, my question was about young people today that are coming up. Most of them are not. Mostly, they're not going. The journalism they're going to do is probably not going to be within the four walls of the New York Post or the New York Times. They are going to be some form of journalism that is going to be disconnected from copy editors, disconnected from assignment editors. there are going to be people going out doing research on their own, breaking stories on their own. Most likely,
1: I I'm not so sure that that's the case. I think that there'll be news organizations. And they'll be online and there'll be news organizations and there'll be video. And the video will be widely dispersed in all kinds of different ways to run uh, video, including, of course, the Internet. But the main thing about this new generation is that they don't lack the the understanding that uh, this is – Let me put it another way. They're just they're very much career oriented. It's very much, you know, they're going to journalism school to learn a trade, to get ahead, and they will listen to editors who are not necessarily in the field knowing what the story is. Well, The point I wanted to make about this uh, veteran story is that I'm sure a reporter came back and said, I'm hearing that this and this is true. And the editor just said, all right, we have an on-the-record source. Let's go with it. And that is
0: the Well, I appreciate it. I mean, I I, I really do appreciate it. And I hope that that you're right, that we should look at this through the lens of what editors think and publishers think and what ethics think. But I believe, Henry, that if you look at these statistics, unfortunately, what we're learning is that about half the country – is coming into this conversation about journalism from a completely different perspective. Right. And then I believe also young people today in 2023 are increasingly not going to be within an environment where they're going to have copy editors and journalism ethics and things like that. And when you have that cocktail of a disbelief in the media and I'm going to go in the media – to try to to, to to make my bones, I think there's there's very I think we're, we're, it's a very fragile scaffold. Right.
1: If everybody considers themselves a journalist and just publishes on the internet, the reader has a responsibility to try and separate the wheat from the chaff, the truth from the BS. That's true. It, there's a lot more responsibility on the reader to discern truth from falsity, and that is a major risk for our democracy. No question about it.
0: Henry Goldman, thank you very much. And when we return, ask Anthony. So welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. You know, we used to have listener mail when we dip into the mailbag. Folks who written in at Gmail at WienerWABC at gmail.com or at Rep on Twitter or the Facebook page. I think it's Anthony D. Wiener. But last week, if you recall, we rebranded this Ask Anthony because we were much more inclined to be responding to something that an elected official said, one of the hosts here on WABC said, and it also gave us more to do. But we're going to go back to listeners today, and we get one from uh, a Gene for Taxes76, I'm going to assume – He's an accountant. If you're going to write, if you can let me know where you're from, just so I know, he doesn't say. But he asks if I am going to be jumping on the Cornell West bandwagon. And I have committed that I would keep an eye on the various primary fields that are emerging. Cornell West, a professor, well-known figure in racial justice issues, he announced yesterday and listened to what he had to say.
1: In these bleak times. I have decided to run for truth and justice, which takes the form of running for president of the United States as a candidate for the People's Party. I enter in the quest for truth. I enter in the quest for justice. And the presidency is just one vehicle to pursue that truth and justice, what I've
0: been trying to do
1: all of my life. Do we have what it takes?
0: He says, do you think we have what it takes? You know, one of the best things that you can do when you're looking at a biography or looking at a website of a candidate that you don't know much about, someone that seems appealing, someone that you think kind of gets the groove – You'll see that some parts of these websites, some parts of these position papers are easier to fudge than others. On his, he's got some great stuff. Clean out government corruption, create a true democracy. I'm with it. Get money out of politics and ban corporate lobbying. I love it. Even stuff like term limits. That's pretty popular. Revitalize economy. Guarantee quality education. But if you really want to get to the nub of it, if you want to understand how realistic a candidate they want to be, and this is true of Republicans or Democrats, the best place to look is in the foreign affairs part because that's the part where there's not a lot of black and white but a lot of gray and if i take a look at cornell west's here's what his have to say end the wars bring our troops home and invest those trillions of dollars into american communities support veterans and this is where it gets sticky stop all foreign military aid close the bases disband nato and ban nuclear weapons globally So for a candidate today to, say, disband NATO, or close the bases, or stop all foreign aid, that is a proxy, that is a stand-in for our support for Ukraine in the war. And there is an interesting force that is emerging that is crossing from the far left to the far right of opposition to the war in Ukraine. Now, it's hard for me to really get my arms around what's going on in the far right. It's something that is a, a mashup of pro-Putin alliances to anti-LGBT feelings to basically out-and-out out Nazism. Although, frankly, if you look hard at the Ukrainian side, there are some elements there that we should be concerned about. And then the far left, which is a more traditional, simply, you know, make peace not war kind of phenomenon. Cornell West is in that second camp. But you know, frankly, we heard this week from RFK Jr. that he's in that camp, coming from the right also. Um, I point this out just to say that this conversation is going to get louder and louder. I don't believe that it represents a majority position in the the United States of America, and it certainly doesn't represent a majority position in our Congress. But you now have candidates on both the left and the right who are making this a tentpole of their positions in their campaign. Um, And I can tell you from experiencing these things firsthand in, in Washington, you know, the appeal of the, the pure left and the pure right and the pure isolationist is not to be dismissed. Earlier in our conversation, Henry Goldman made reference to the period before World War II. The isolation vibe in our country runs deep and it runs wide. Cornell West is going to be an articulate spokesman for that. And if you get a chance, go check out his announcement video. It is a, It's a thing of art. It's, you know, you um, politicians, we emerge with the idea that we have certain outcomes that we want to achieve, and we try to figure out rhetoric to advance those outcomes. People like Cornell West, who start with the rhetoric and then build out from there, can be very compelling indeed, and I think he is going to be something to watch. Now, I have said... That one of the ways that we deal with this phenomenon in our country, that both the left, uh, both Democrats and Republicans are both unhappy with our candidates, but seem pretty confident we're going to get them anyway. One of the things I think that we can do is to urge there to be primary debates on both sides. Donald Trump said he's not going to participate in theirs. um, And since uh, Joe Biden controls the DNC, we might not even have debates on the Democratic side but i think one of the things seeing cornell west on a stage with joe biden i would um think that all of us would benefit from that and i think it would be an opportunity to have this conversation about whether disbanding nato at this moment is good policy or it's simply folly. I do appreciate you joining us on The Middle Unplugged. You, If you do like what you're hearing here, subscribe, leave a review. There are a lot of places, a lot of podcast platforms that let you write comments, anything you'd like to leave in there. I read all of those. Um, also, uh, I would love to have you join me on uh, my Saturday show, The Middle, which is also available as a podcast. It's live at 2 o'clock on Saturdays. At 3 o'clock, we have Left versus Right, where I, I join Curtis Lee when we have a conversation about things national, domestic all kinds of things in between. And I do appreciate your support for this podcast. We've had enormous growth, and I want to thank you for that. And with that, this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged.